Welcome to Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons. Q is about conversation. If we're really concerned about ending poverty, we've got to be more concerned about creating justice. Our cultural products as Christians need to both defy and resonate with the culture. And God's doing amazing things. His church is expanding, His church is growing. It's not what's the purpose of my life, it's what is the purpose that's been assigned. Stay curious, think well, advance good. This is Q. out of that shared kingdom vision, then I think you can go off into almost any kind of directions. And when you have a core that have a vision for the city, not one church, one person, one nonprofit, but you know, we represent tens of thousands of people within the community. We're not trying to gain political power. We're not trying to lord it over anybody, but we would like to serve. This is Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons. Hi, I'm Paul Perot. Thanks for joining us. You know, this summer, many cities were hit by violence in the wake of George Floyd's death. How can churches in various communities work together for the common good and bring peace? Today on the show, we're featuring a conversation you, Gabe, had with a guy who has a lot of experience getting churches together. He's Kevin Palau. Tell us about him and our show today. He's the president and CEO of the Luis Palau Association. He's the son of Luis Palau. And in that role, he leads something called City Gospel Movement. And we've partnered with him for so many years around Q Commons, around thinking through our cities on how church leaders and faith leaders can unite together and work with the mayor, work with their government, get things done that advance the common good. And today I'm going to sit down with him and talk more about how that's been going. I want to hear more about what's happening in Portland, which is where he's based, which is a bit of a hot spot and has been over these last couple of months with protests and riots and all kinds of new things that seem to be happening that we hadn't seen in a while in America's streets. And I want to hear how he's thinking about it and how the church in Portland is uniting in this moment. And so just listen in to a conversation with Kevin Palau. I think we're in a moment right now where understanding our cities, understanding the way God's at work in cities and, and where are we seeing the signs of life in some of those places will give inspiration to people right now who maybe don't have those things happen in their city. And maybe from our conversation, it could inspire them to take some of the steps you take early on in cities to start to see that happen. So, but let's go to the backstory. I want to understand, and I want everybody to hear a little more of how you came to focus on the idea of cities and, and starting to create movements amongst Christians to partner together and work together in cities. Well, well, Gabe, yeah, you, and you've heard this story so many times. You know, Portland, Oregon is such a wonderful place, and it's a pretty crazy, quirky place, and it's in the news a lot um, these days because it's such a progressive place, and it's a proudly progressive place that, that has valued a lot of things that, that would be controversial depending on, you know, a person's perspective or maybe what part of the country they come from. But, you know, it's been a place that has been a struggle for the church. I mean, historically, I'm, an, I'm a lifelong Oregonian. My mom's an Oregonian. My dad's from Argentina. And they met in 1960 in Bible school here. And it was always a place that, that for the Christian community, and particularly the evangelical community, the struggles of being a very distinct minority made it difficult at times to know how do we reflect God's love? How do we share the good news of Jesus in a place it doesn't seem to value us. Out of our desire to share the good news, and, and ultimately we were looking to do a big evangelistic festival that gathered lots and lots of people, we instinctively knew that in a place like Portland, unless we had built 
some credibility and some common good, common ground basis for relationship that we might be viewed, unfortunately, as a little, little more than a kind of a you know, clanging symbol kind of a thing that like, I don't know what you guys are talking about, but you don't seem to be much involved in the city. So we did this very simple thing. And some of you heard me talk about it a lot, but we went to see the mayor very naively and without a lot of planning. We just went to see the mayor and and he's been part of Q a number of times. At the time, Sam Adams was the mayor and he was the first openly gay mayor of a top 25 city. And so, you know, that came with the tensions of that time frame of, uh, gosh, where's the common ground? But, you know, to Sam's credit, when we went in saying, you know what, we surely disagree on a number of things, and we're both aware of that, between, the, let's say, the evangelical part of the Christian community and uh, Sam, you know, you, the LGBTQ community, but, you know, surely we also agree on a lot. And we didn't, we didn't quote this verse, but we, we kind of had this theme of Jeremiah 29, 7, of seek the shalom of the city, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I've carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, for if it prospers, you too will prosper. So that, that became this underlying, and I'd say now for 15 years and counting, it, it, it inspires us to say as followers of Jesus, as kingdom people, imperfect as we are, trying to say God's, your will here in Portland, in Beaverton, in every part of the Portland area is in heaven. What does that mean? So it, it led to great relationships and favor, I, I guess I would say across a lot of political lines, the perception of the evangelical community being lockstep and, and very conservative, et cetera, maybe being homophobic, some of those things that in Portland would mean you have no place here in our progressive utopia. But we, we overcame a lot and it led to amazing school partnerships and favor with our school districts. And 70% of the public schools have a school partner. It led to incredible open doors in the foster care system, where as of right now, as I'm sharing, uh, the only way you can become a foster parent in the state of Oregon and to volunteer is to come through what was originally a church, meaning collective church portal that's now called Every Child. So there's been incredible favor, but at the same time, um, you know, I would say because of the current proper focus on, on racial justice, one of the things we've realized is that there's a reason that Oregon is the whitest state in the country. And one of the things that's been, a, that's been embarrassing in this journey is that we paid a lot of attention to some really good things and a lot of great things have happened. We didn't pay enough attention to some of those issues that Oregon came into the union as, the, as a whites only state. And we're just now, I would say, experiencing some incredible open doors and doing a lot of listening with our amazing black and brown pastors and leaders. We have a long way to go. Yeah, I want to jump in on that, Kevin, because I think some people know that you're in Portland, but for the current moment we're in, Portland is, mm. this is a news story like every <laughs> night. The Exactly. The things happening downtown, I mean, the mayor's perspective, federal agents being there, there being just a significant amount of destruction taking place in the mm -hmm. city. I know that breaks your heart to just see the city in, in a lot of ways start to go into a different place. And what I'm curious about is you've been building relationships for years in the Portland area with pastors, with leaders, with city leaders, with government leaders. And a lot of us wonder, you know, well, what is the fruit of that in a moment like this? Is there conversations happening? Is communication happening? 
So let us in a little bit on what's happening currently. Yeah, thanks, Gabe. For sure. I think it's, it's a humbling time because Oregon is among the whitest states and Portland is among the whitest cities. We didn't do enough thinking and, and asking ourselves, why is that? What is it about Oregon's past that created that? And, and I won't get into all that. There, there's some amazing articles uh, that have been written and, and covered in OregonLive.com, our statewide newspaper. You know, to, to just cut to the chase on the churches, when there is healthy, not perfect, but healthy relationships among the churches, including with our pastors and churches of color, uh, Latino, Latinx churches, and, and black and brown churches, it gives us the space for conversation. And sometimes that means the hard conversations behind the scenes where we, we had the largest pastors gathering we've ever had among many, many, many amazing pastors gathering. We had to do it virtually, of course, because of COVID, but we, we called it Race, Justice, and the Kingdom of God, a pastoral conversation. And we heard from six of our amazing Black pastors and leaders, and then um, some pastors that you know, John Mark Comer from Bridgetown, Rick McKinley from Imago, were on there as well, because while we thought, well, this is a chance, let's just listen to some of our Black leaders, they were the ones that said, no, 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 you don't get off that easy. (laughs) This is not a Black conversation. This is an us-together conversation. We need to be in dialogue, and we need to, to talk together. So that, that's begun an amazing journey. And I'd say behind the scenes, there are some encouraging things happening. I think greater trust is being developed. I'd say we're realizing that, that while we've had good relationships, I think the honesty, and I'm just talking about among the evangelical pastors, even, I don't think we created an environment of real mutuality and a place where some of our Black pastors could actually share what they've experienced fully. Um, we've had some prayer vigils. We, we, we took eight days and we had eight nights of, of consecutive prayer at some sites around the Portland metro area where there have been previous incidents of injustice and pain and suffering on the part of the Black community. So we went and, and, and listened about those experiences and just prayed and worshiped together as a, as a community. So, and then, as you said, I, I think when it comes to what people see in the news, I would say there's a lot going on behind the scenes. And thankfully, some of our incredible Black leaders that are people of faith are the very ones that are in the mayor's office in dialogue with the chief of police. You know, I think the trust has been there and that they know that, that our white churches are with them, even though this is a situation where they are in the lead, they need to be in the lead, but we're doing our best to say, how do we listen and support them really, really well? So I guess I would say I'm incredibly proud of some of the work that's going on behind the scenes. It's very difficult work, not always understood. You know, in these situations, even within the Black community, there's not always agreement on the best approach. And uh, when is time for dialogue? And so I'm really proud of our Black pastors and leaders that are in the trenches doing this work. When did you start gathering leaders in your city? Because this is an important point I want everybody Mm -hmm. to understand, is that when the crisis comes in your city, it's too late usually to start building the relationships. I mean, it Mm -hmm. might bring you together. You'll meet some people. You'll maybe begin some conversations. But to really lead in a crisis moment, as we've seen in multiple cities uh, where crisis happens, and that could be a you know, a weather crisis, a hurricane. It could also be, right. you know, like it happened in Charleston where there's a horrific murder that took place uh, of multiple people in an African-American church. And 
networks were in place that allowed those cities to respond and the faith leaders to lead in a way that even the city leaders weren't able to lead. Go back, and, and when did you first start calling pastors together for prayer or for anything that would just start to unite them? And now how many pastors would you consider part of the Portland area network? You're, you're right. It's, it's always challenging when you're diving into quick conversations and you're showing things like the foster care system. Yeah, these things are, are developed over many, many years. And so really it's been about a 20-year journey so far way back to 1999. And in our case, because the Palau Association is all about evangelism and uniting and mobilizing the church toward that, that was where it began among the evangelical churches was getting together, frankly, not around a sustainable movement, but frankly, over something more tactical, which was, what does it look like for us to unite and share the good news? So if we can unite around an event why wouldn't we try to stay united relationally longer term? Because the challenge of uniting around a particular event or one particular strategy is the time and the season for that's going to change. The emphasis has got to stay on the relationships. If the relationships can be there through thick and thin, through misunderstanding, through pastors leaving because they moved to a different city, like there's this commitment around Jeremiah 29.7, seeking the shalom of the city that has now maintained itself for 15 years of, of greater intentionality. And I would say also, I don't want to come across triumphalistic like Portland is this perfect example. We have a long way to go. And again, the situation we're in now has humbled us and made us realize that our leadership structures haven't been as representative as they can be. But when the relationship is there, when you can hear from each other, even when what people have to say is not pleasant. <laughs> Even when it's said behind closed doors and it's like, you let me down here. You did not stand up for me when I needed you. You talked a good game, but you weren't there. Those are the hard things. But when the relationship is there, when there's true love and appreciation for one another, you can grow through that. And um, I am such a, a fan for the idea of city gospel movements, united, holistic, sustainable movements of the church in the city. I don't know how our cities are going to deal with what we're going to be facing in the future without the church being together. And it's never going to be perfect and it's never going to be everybody. And, and there's going to be so much criticism because in some cases, no matter what you do, it's not going to be enough for some people. And it's going to be way too much for others. Being in that middle ground is painful. I don't like it. I don't like being criticized. Not that I get criticized much, but I think that there's something so beautiful about working for unity within the body of Christ. And I think our, our nation needs it and our cities desperately need that kind of visible unity across denominational, ethnic, and socioeconomic lines. Yeah. And so for your years, when I lived in New York City, I know you started to build that type of network with the leaders in New York. I remember you, Kevin, you flying into town. I mean, yeah, you were on a, you were on a plane yeah. from Oregon to New York City, and you would go spend your time having coffee with leaders, all because you believe so much in the need for cities to be connected and for pastors and Christian leaders to know one another, to work together. You understood this would take a long time, but could you give us a little bit of a state of the union on how city gospel movements are going? Like, How, how many cities would you say in America right now have a pretty regular type gathering that you know of that's taking place yes, in the major. Of. Yeah. Cause I know a lot of towns and cities have prayer meetings happening, but 
ones that you've been involved with where you guys have really invested in creating these networks, about how many of our major cities would have something like that in place? Well, you know, if people want to find out more, or even find out that they, maybe there's something happening in your own city or town that you weren't fully aware of, citygospelmovements.org is a website that we maintain on behalf of this kind of relational network of people that are trying to lead imperfectly, I will always say, but lead these kind of united, sustainable movements of the church. So we're aware of over 300 that we would consider to be pretty strong that have sustained for a number of years that that have this shared vision. They're called, you name it, like there's no sense of trying to control or manage them. We view it as something the Holy Spirit is doing for such a time as this in fulfillment of, of Jesus's prayer in John 17. Some have more of a prayer focus. Some have, I would say they all share a unity focus. Many are very much social justice and serving the community focus. Um, and then certainly evangelism or, or a desire to do what we do, reflecting the love of Jesus we have found that um, uh, a lot of the cities have kind of neglected evangelism a bit. And so that's one of the things we are kind of uh, being a champion of is, hey, in our work for justice, visible unity, prayer, let's not also forget that, that one of the hardest things for us in the U.S. these days uh, is to know how do we try to communicate the life-changing message of Jesus that, that's transformative if we don't maintain a, some push toward that, it's almost always going to be the thing that, uh, that wanes. It's not so much a, a plan, you know, one way of doing it, trying to, to rally people toward a strategy as much as it is a mindset to say, we really are one in Christ across these ethnic and denominational lines. Now we have to practice that. And it's mostly about relationship building. Tell us in closing, what are a few of the keys, some of the special Kevin Palau sort of practices that you try to employ to help people stay connected relationally, even if there are challenges in and differences in belief or point of view or even doctrinal ideas? You've had a lot of experience helping people find common ground. So what, what are some of the ways you've done that? Well, I would, I would say it really is important to have a shared starting point. And I would say um, you know, while we've worked in Portland and, and we always encourage on the one hand, like common good, common ground. So like it's about the city and we can work with, with people of goodwill across virtually any line when it comes to things like creating better education for our kids and uh, being a blessing to kids in foster care. For these kind of movements that are church led, it really is important to focus back down initially on what are the common grounds that unite us as followers of Jesus. Because I do see some movements where if the focus is so strong on the tactical, we're going to tackle this particular issue, homelessness, et cetera, and you haven't built a core around the gospel, you, you lose your sense or your ability to mobilize that particular part of the body of Christ and um, build a core that really have each other's backs. And, it, and that doesn't mean that you agree on everything. But I would say that, that finding that part of the body of Christ that are united around a holistic movement, so it's word and deed, it's not ashamed of the gospel, maintaining a love for the gospel and a real belief in the power of the gospel to change lives builds that sense of what are the churches that, that are willing to work together um, and out of that shared kingdom vision 
then I think you can go off into almost any kind of directions. And when you have a core that have a vision for the city and, and it's numerically strong enough, I mean, I hate to make it about numbers, but when we went to our mayor, not one church, one person, one nonprofit, but having done a bit of our homework and the hard behind the scenes work to say, hey, you know what, we, we represent a hundred evangelical churches. And I would often explain what that even means. But, you know, we represent tens of thousands of people within the community. We're not trying to gain political power. We're not trying to lord it over anybody, but we would like to serve. I think, I think that coming to city leaders, having already done some of the hard work of uniting around a shared vision as believers, helps make sense of something like this to people that don't understand this or who may be afraid that it's primarily about gaining political power. As you said, Gabe, I mean, right now people are so, and of course, right now, meaning before the election, people are really assuming that everything's about political power. Um, so sometimes it's helpful to be having these conversations specifically in times when it's not an election cycle. Uh, we, we, we ended up doing that in those kind of times and so that there wasn't that confusion. Building a really strong core, building trust among pastors and leaders that already share a kingdom vision, and, and then going... Um, in a collective way to build trust with people where there's less common ground, going with a sense of humility, as obvious as that is, the simple thing of just asking questions. When we go into, when we went in to see our school superintendents, when we went to see the Department of Human Services about foster care, when we went to see the mayor in conversations with their LGBTQ community, it was never with a plan or an agenda. It was always with a sense of genuine humility. We know we have not earned the right to be heard. We know that we have done things or not done things that have labeled us a certain way. We're embarrassed about that. But I think when, when, when there's that humility and willingness to repent in, in the biblical way of admitting that we haven't understood things properly, we have not done what we should have done, I have found people so willing to listen. For a while, I was always shocked. Oh my goodness, that went so much better than I thought. We didn't get the pushback we thought. I think it's just impelled by the Holy Spirit, that Christ-like humility of not having to defend ourselves, not having to say, well, you may think that we're like this, but let me tell you why you're wrong. We're really not as bad as you think. We've, we've said a lot of cases, guilty as charged. Or, or even when we felt that the critique has been maybe misplaced or maybe not fully fair, we've just found so much more favor by admitting when we're wrong. You find so much open door and favor by asking questions and then engaging into the places where you can serve. So, you know, under promise and over deliver. We've always started with simple ways to serve, simple ways to engage. And then gradually, we didn't set out to have the church have a, a key, key influential place in foster care. We started off doing makeovers of the DHS offices. That was not a very uh, uh, methodical, organized uh, <laughs> answer to the question, but it's... Your point is you're starting with where there's an opportunity to listen. There's a humility to how you approach these conversations. You help everybody around you not only experience your humility, but invite them into that. And then you're always trying to find like lowest common denominator. What can we do together? Unity's formed when we're working on things together, and that's the story of Portland. You guys have helped the public school system. I know you've dealt with trafficking. You've dealt with education. You've dealt with so many of these different sectors. It's taken a lot, many, many years, 
but now there's a reputation that the church in Portland's alive and well and strong. We're praying for you as you move into this new season where there's a lot of learning to do, but there's also a lot of unrest and a lot of people in your city who will look to the strength of the church to help not only walk through this difficult time, but as this difficult time surpasses to to give vision for the future of the city. I hope as you're listening that you're inspired about all the ways in which your city, it, whether you live in a small town with a population of 400 or you're in a large metro area, there's opportunity to build these relationships, but it often happens when you're working on something together. So find those people that that have an alignment, go to work on something, and I think you'll be amazed at how inspiring that will be to bring people together. And Kevin, I just want to thank you for your faithfulness. I'm excited to see the coming decade, all the fruit that's going to continue to come from the hard work that's happened to build relationships and give vision for Christians to really understand this is a critical, important part of our responsibility. And I know for Q, from the beginning, that's been a paramount message that we've tried to communicate is that, yes, we're called to lead people to the Lord. We're called to help people enter into the kingdom. Evangelism is absolutely part of what we are called to do. As John Stott said, you know, it's like we're 100 percent got to be committed to evangelism, yes, but we also have to be 100 percent committed to social action and to ensuring that justice is being done and that we're living out the gospel in tangible ways in our cities. And so you've been such an example of that. Thank you, Gabe. And, and, and yes, I would say just my, my final word would be that in the situation we're in now, I do think evangelism and bearing witness to the person and work of Christ is, is the harder task. And in these movements, I would always just kind of as a final word say, let's not forget the, 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 the harder challenge at times of bearing witness to Jesus Christ. This is Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons. Gabe, that was a great conversation with Kevin Palau. How can people learn more? Go to citygospelmovements.org. And when you do that, you can actually take a quiz and discover your specific role in your city as you start to dream about what a gospel movement might look like in your own local context. So if you're somebody listening to this and you're like, I don't know where I fit. I don't know how I could be a part of something like that. This is the perfect place to start. So take that quiz, discover what your role could be in helping create a movement in your city and also just continue to be a part of this Q community where we're learning together. We're listening to leaders who are on the front lines, who are discerning and innovating and finding new ways to advance the gospel in every type of context imaginable. And I hope you have a wonderful week. This program is made possible in partnership with Faith Radio and Northwestern Media. Thank you for listening to the Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons podcast. These conversations are available because of listener support. You can make your gift now at MyFaithRadio.com. To avoid missing future editions of Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons, subscribe to the podcast today at iTunes or on your podcast player. And thank you for sharing this audio link with a friend and growing the impact of Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons.